Amen. Looking forward to that day. That's, that's a picture from the book of Revelation where all the nations are gathered uh, together. Every tongue and tribe and nation. We're heading to that day eventually. But we're going to look at what happened to our world. For those who have been with me for these last few weeks, we know, the last couple of months really, uh, we've been looking at the book of Genesis talking about beginnings. Beginnings. And so far, up to this passage we're going to be looking at today, it's a perfect world. <laughs> a perfect World. There is no sin. There's nothing wrong with the world. All is good. All is happy. All is right. Uh, everything is perfect. We said the world is in harmony. So it's not all the same, but it is in harmony with one another. We talked last week how the world is in harmony with Creator and its, His creation. Uh, the world is in harmony with man and with His Creator. The world is in harmony with man and His wife. Eve. Everything is perfect. Well, what happened? <laughs> what happened to our world? Uh, why is the world clearly not in harmony anymore? Uh, what's changed about our world? And the answer, of course, is sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is when we act or do or think or do anything that is out of line with God. Uh, it's out of line with His will. Now the thing is, we like to kind of joke about sin sometimes. We like to mitigate it, uh, make light about it. But when you really think about it, sin ruins everything. <laughs> sin ruins everything. Sin is tragic. And we see that here, how tragic sin really is. And I don't use that word tragic lightly. You think something's tragic. What's tragic? Death is tragic. right? Somebody close to you that dies, that's tragic. Uh, a major fall uh, from an office, a moral failure or something like that. That is tragic. Something that is lost and can never be truly and fully regained. That's what it means for something to be tragic. This, what we read today, friends, is tragic. Sin tragically ruined our perfect world. For now. For now. Because there's hope. We don't end with hopelessness. It ruined our perfect world for now. But there is a way forward which is, of course, in Christ. We'll talk about that. So we're in chapter 3 of Genesis. Um, if you don't know where that is, open your Bible to its very beginning and just turn a couple chapters in, and you'll find it. Chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. We'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, but if you'd like to have it in your Bible or a Bible, it's a Bible in the pew in front of you. We read these words, and this story is probably somewhat familiar, but we're going to look at it really carefully together this morning and see its application for us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of, it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And we're going to talk more about what happens next, Lord willing, next week. But that's enough for, I think, this morning. There is an outline in your bulletin. So if you're someone who wants to sort of look along, take some notes, see where we're going, please feel free to do so. But first we see what sin is. Uh, Sin, verses 1 through 6. Sin is human disobedience to the will of God. Human disobedience to the will of God. Sin is to choose self. (laughs) It's to choose our own autonomy. Our separateness from God. I will choose to be my own God. I will do what I want to do. Uh, We see here that we're introduced to the serpent. um, And uh, we don't know much about this. We know that the serpent is a picture of the devil. Um, In the book of Revelation, the other end. So you got the beginning. Genesis is the beginning of the Bible. Revelation is the end. He's called the ancient serpent of old, right? The serpent of old. He's he's, clearly a reference to this serpent here. Um, He's called the father of lies by Jesus. And you see here the father of lies uh, in this picture. So what's going on? Is Satan taking the form of a serpent? Um, Is he sort of represented somehow by the, the serpent in the garden? It's not really clear as to what's going on. Here, um, it does say the serpent was more crafty than any other beast, meaning he's not one of the beasts that God had made in his creation. Perhaps he's a separate thing. This is Satan entering into the garden. We're not super clear as to why. Obviously, he speaks. Snakes don't talk, so there's something uh, different happening right from the beginning. But notice his conversation with Eve. What does he do? He first questions uh, God's word. Did God say you can eat from any tree? You, not, not, you cannot eat from any tree. So what is he doing there? Uh, he's saying God is far more strict than you think. I mean, he's, he's not allowing you to eat anything from the tree, which is, of course, a lie. So he takes God's word and makes it into a lie right from the beginning. Eve is aware of that, at least. So he, she corrects him. No, no, no. He didn't say we can't eat from any tree. By the way, that's what people still do with God, right? Make him seem like this mean, angry God who sits in heaven, uh, overly strict and is upset with us anytime we do something wrong. No, he made all those trees for all their pleasure for food. He just said to one, about one tree. So he corrects him and says, uh, no, he just said there's one tree that we're not allowed to eat from. And he, she adds something herself. Did you catch that? Nor should you touch it. Now, interestingly, God didn't say anything about touching it. Probably a good idea not to touch it. She never said, don't touch it. So what is Eve doing? She's already the first legalist. (laughs) She's already the first one to add to God's command and make it stricter than it really is. He didn't say you can't touch it. He didn't say you can't look at it. He didn't say you can't lick it. (laughs) He just said you can't eat it. That's the only thing you can't do. She's making it stricter than it seems already. Now Satan has already sort of pushed her in one direction. So what does he do? He then calls, go ahead, uh, makes an outright attack on God's word and in God's motive. God knows that if you eat from this tree, you're going to be like him. So he didn't, he, that's why he doesn't want you to eat from it. 
Because if you eat from it, you'll be like God. And God is, is jealous for, his, for, you, for, him to, for you not to be like him. Uh, which is, of course, ridiculous. Uh, God could just not create the tree. <laughs> he could just not put it in the garden. I mean, if you just give it a minute's thought, uh, it doesn't make any sense. But nevertheless, he sees an opening here to deceive Eve into eating from the tree. Eve sees that the tree is good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It makes us wise. And the wisdom she's seeking, of course, is a wisdom of this world, not a wisdom of God. Isn't it interesting that at the heart of sin here is the lust of the eyes. I see and I want what I see. It looks good to me. I don't care what God says. I want it. And she gives it to Adam. Adam, it says, who was with her? Uh, So I know people like to joke sometimes. It's the woman's fault in the garden. That's ridiculous. He is with her. He's hearing the whole conversation. He knows exactly what's going on. He has absolutely no excuse. And what does he do? He eats as well. But why is this so bad? Why is this so bad? Did this caused sin in the whole world. Why is this so bad? Let's look at it a little more carefully. First of all, again, it's the only command that God gave. <laughs> uh, it, there's no other command for them to do. There's nothing else forbidden in the garden. This one thing, just don't eat from this tree. Uh, go and enjoy. You can run and jump and do flips and eat and do whatever you want. Just don't eat from this tree. And the reason why God put it there was, in a sense, as a certain sort of test. Can you obey me? Can you hear my word and respond with obedience? It's the one thing he's asked them not to do. As we already said, it's a generous command. It's not like there's only one tree in the garden that has fruit. The whole garden is filled with trees, filled with fruit, filled with food. They have plenty to eat, plenty to enjoy. Uh, His commands are generous. Also, we see that the consequence was given. Uh, There's no surprise here. God didn't say, you better not eat or else, and just leave it blank, like we do as parents sometimes, right? No, what does he say? If you eat it, you will surely die. He makes it clear. Now, they don't even know what death is fully. Other than just say, maybe they, they know it's the end of something. But he gives the consequence clearly. And more than that, they know that God is good and that God is loving. That he's their creator and he cares about them. He's provided for them. Why would you turn your back on him? Now, granted, there is a deceiver in the garden. And notice Satan, what his main goal is. Uh, he's not trying to get them to worship himself. Very rare you find someone that says, I worship Satan. I mean, there's, there's a few, some people who, who do that, but that's really not his main goal. Uh, his main goal is to do what? To create traitors against God. To create rebels. And he is sadly successful in the garden. What is Eve's sin? Well, one is she's deceived. Actually, the New Testament says that. The woman was deceived. He was deceived. That doesn't mean she's innocent. <laughs> She was tricked, but she's not innocent. She looks with the lust of her eyes, the desire of her taste buds, the desire for wisdom and for power to be like God, and she still eats of the tree. Matthew Henry said, when she looked, perhaps she did not intend to take, or when she took, not to eat, but it ended in that. It is wisdom to stop the first motions of sin and to leave it off before it is meddled with. She went one step closer and one step closer and eventually engaged in sin. What's Adam's sin? <laughs> and if anything, I think Adam is more culpable. Uh, that He's more responsible. One, because his main sin is apathy. 
Uh, he sat back. He's the one who heard the command from God. He's the one who's responsible for his wife. And he sits back and watches her tricked by Satan and eat of the tree in disobedience. Actually, it says clearly in the New Testament that he was not deceived, which is even worse. But that means he knew what was happening. He knew that she was acting in rebellion against God. And he sees his wife in rebellion. And what does he say? I would rather be with her in sin than with God in righteousness. He acts with willful disobedience. He chooses self over everything. How does this affect us? This picture of sin. We'll get to grace. Don't, don't get me wrong. How does this affect us? First, it broke a world of harmony. It broke a world of harmony. Disobedience to the will of God is to go against the purpose we were made and creates a world filled with chaos. When you see chaos and pain and violence and brokenness all over this world, it started right here. A world of harmony falls into a world of chaos. Also, in some sense, we are guilty of Adam's sin. Uh, he is, I know this is a little strange for us, because we, we like to think of ourselves as purely individualistic. It's not how it really works. He is our representative head. In fact, the word Adam, Adam, means man. He is man, all summed up in one. In fact, Romans 5 says this, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. All, in a sense, sinned in Adam. Uh, the early Puritans knew this. In fact, there was a, a thing called the, uh, the New England Primer, which you probably can't read because it's kind of small. This is how they would teach kids to read, and so it goes by each letter of the alphabet, but famously A says, in Adam's sin, uh, in Adam's, ah, let me get the exact quote so I don't mess it up here. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And then the B is, thy life to men, this book attend. This is the late 1600s. They began by teaching kids in Adam's sin, we sinned all. We fall together as human beings. We're created of a fallen nature. From this point forward, their children are no, more, no longer born in neutrality and innocence and perfection. We're born of a sinful and fallen nature. It's been said, you don't have to teach a little kid to lie. They know that perfectly well. You don't have to teach a little kid to be selfish. They already get that. You have to teach them to tell the truth. You've got to teach them to be unselfish. There's already a bent towards a fallen nature. But friends, also, we follow his example every time we sin. Now, what is it to sin but to say, I choose myself rather than God? I choose my way and not his way. I choose self above all. That's sin by definition. How does this affect their relationship with God? Look at 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Sin has broken our relationship with God. I see what it does. Look what it does here. First, their eyes are opened. Not physically, but they now see in a way that they hadn't seen before. So the eating from the tree, the serpent was telling a half-truth. Uh, yes, there is something you'll gain, a knowledge of evil that you've never had before because now you know evil in experience. Their eyes are open and they know they are naked. And what's that all about? Remember, they were both naked and unashamed. Their nakedness is a picture of their innocence. But that innocence is gone. Now there is shame, there is guilt, there is sin. 
What do they do? They sew fig leaves together uh, to make loincloths. Fig leaves are not that big. I have a picture of fig leaves. Um, This wouldn't do a great job covering you up. So they just take what they can to try to cover up uh, their nakedness in any way they can. They make loincloths. Uh, It's a paltry attempt to hide their own shame, and it doesn't work very well. Again, Matthew Henry says, The excuses men make to cover and lessen their sins are vain and frivolous like the aprons of fig leaves. We do the same thing to try to cover our sins in ways that never actually work. As they're hiding among the trees, what do they hear? God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Think about that. What's the cool of the day? That's the evening after the hot desert sun has be- is when it begins to set. God walks in the garden. I said, wait a minute, how can God walk? It's a theophany, it's God, this is what God does. See that in the Bible, he reveals himself in ways that can be understood. If he just exists as eternal spirit, then nobody can really understand him. But God often condescends, reveals himself in ways we can comprehend. And what he did for Adam and Eve is he would, in a sense, appear and walk with them. Doesn't have feet, doesn't have, you know, doesn't make noises, but unless he intentionally wants to. He's revealing himself to be in fellowship with them. The picture is as if this was a regular thing. God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden and they would enjoy the intimacy of fellowship with him. What has changed when they hear the sound of God coming, they hide. That should give us a, a pause, friends. They hide from God, their creator who loves them and whom they have lived in fellowship with since they were made. And God says, where are you? He knows, of course he knows where they are. He's calling them out. And Adam finally comes out and says, I was afraid of you. Look what has happened to their relationship with God. Now we have something, this is true of us, now we have something to be ashamed of. No more innocence. No more carefree freedom. We have genuine sin. They fear God. Fear God, our Creator. Something they would never have done before. We hide from God. People hide from God all the time. How do they do that? One, they deny He exists. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say, I don't believe that there is a God in heaven. I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna, ex- I'm gonna live life ignoring Him at least. Even if I don't make some philosophical argument that He doesn't exist, I'm gonna go about each day as if there is no God. And if I can just keep ignoring him, I can keep doing my own thing, pay no attention to the end of the road where death comes, I'm just going to pretend like there's no God and continue to hide from him. Or we twist the truth in some way to convince ourselves that God is not interested in us whatsoever. We try to create our own covering, as Adam and Eve did. It's a picture of us trying to be good enough for God, trying to cover our own sin with maybe some ceremony or some good deed or whatever it is. And we fail, friends. We fail miserably when we try. What does God do? He calls us out. He sees and he knows all. (laughs) What is he doing? He wants Adam and Eve to come out to admit, to confess, to deal with their sin openly with God. Friends, we can have this relationship with God back. We can have this intimate relationship with God once again. That's the heart of the Christian faith. Jesus came to reconcile us between God and between man and God. This relationship is broken by sin. 
But Jesus came to bring us together. Not that God did anything wrong, but we are separated by sin. And through Christ, we're brought back into fellowship with our Creator. I hope this is you, friends, in, this, in some sense, that you see this. You see this about yourself. That you are like Adam. You are like Eve. But you should know that God loves you enough to win us back, and He does it through His Son. Or maybe you're here and you're still hiding from God. <laughs> still trying to find a way to cover your shame, to save yourself, to cover your guilt. Friends, it's hopeless. And you don't need to do it because God has sent His Son to bring us back to Himself. That we can, in a sense, walk with God again in the cool of the day. Now, not physically, in that sense, not yet, but prayer and worship. We can know Him and live for Him in intimate fellowship with Him. And the day is coming when we will be with Him. This relationship is not gone forever. It comes again in Christ. More than that, though, look, sin has broken our relationship with each other. Break not just their relationship with God that is broken. Look at 11 through 13. It's their relationship with each other. Uh, look, Adam and Eve, uh, God begins to interrogate <laughs> Adam, notice God asks more questions than anything else. He's drawing Adam out of himself. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree like I told you not to eat? Letting Adam confess his own sin. And Adam does what? He blames his wife. He blames Eve. Uh, it's the woman that you put here that gave me the fruit. That's why I ate. It's not my fault. I'm completely innocent, God. I did nothing wrong, but the woman gave me fruit and I ate, which is, of course, a total lie. Uh, he's blaming his wife. But really, when you look more closely at that statement, who's he really blaming? The woman whom you gave me, she's the reason why I said, I'm not really blaming the woman, I'm blaming you, God. So you put the woman in here. I, didn't, I was going fine with all these animals, and then you put the woman in here. She's the one who made me sin, which is totally, again, a twisting of the truth. Blaming now God. She's the stumbling block in the garden that has led me into sin. Think how sad a picture of the fellowship that they not long ago had enjoyed. Before this tragic sin, Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. Adam celebrated the creation of Eve, remember, with at last God. She was created as the suitable helper, the one flesh and blood of his. And after sinning, he sees her as a scapegoat for his disobedience and the cause of their sin. Tragically, their relationship with one another is broken. God addresses Eve. What is her excuse? I, I, it wasn't me, God. It was the serpent that was in the garden. That was the real problem. Uh, she's the first person to use the devil made me do it excuse. Literally. It wasn't me. It was a serpent. He made me do it. I was just following orders. That's all. Like a Nuremberg, right? That was the excuse. Uh, Nazis, we did nothing wrong. We just followed orders. We just did what we were told to do. That's it. Never works. Doesn't excuse you of guilt at all. First of all, the serpent has no authority over you to tell you what to do anyways. God is the authority, and he's already told them not to eat. But nevertheless, to just follow orders is not an excuse either. Their relationship with one another is broken. They're not a team. They're not flesh of flesh and bone of bone. What happened to her is suitable helper. They're turning on one another. What sin has done? What sin has done not only to their relationship with God, but to one another? Sin breaks our relationship with each other. Not just how we see God, but one another. We hide from each other. We blame one another. We're suspicious of each other. Relationship with God went bad, and that affects everything else. 
C.S. Lewis describes it this way. People in his day, the 1960s, would say, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, morality doesn't mean anything. All it means is don't hurt any other people. And Lewis said, well, imagine it's like this. Imagine you have a group of ships, boats, all traveling in the same direction. And you say, as long as these ships don't bump into each other, everything's fine. Doesn't matter what happens on board an individual ship. But let's say in one ship, there's a mutiny. <laughs> let's say there's problems with the hull. Let's say the sails are starting to um, have holes and not moving right. What do you think is eventually going to happen to that ship? Eventually, it's going to move and crash into one of the others. It's our relationship with God and what's going on inside of us that eventually causes us to hurt one another. One affects the other. That's why Jesus said, what is the greatest command? Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second command like it? Love your neighbor as yourself. The two are connected. Friends, something's been broken in our relationship with one another. Still, we're still image bearers. We haven't lost the image of God, but we are broken. We are sinful. Uh, people say, well, people are just are generally good. Well, maybe, maybe not. My guess is you still lock your doors at night, right? <laughs> if you trust that people are generally good, you recognize there's something wrong. Look what's happened to the way we treat one another. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famous Russian who went through the gulag, said this, If I were asked today to formulate it in, as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, Russia, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Our relationship with God is what causes us to turn on one another. It's where conflicts come from. Conflicts turn into arguments. that turn into fights. Sometimes fist fights. And just go on YouTube and look up fist fights. And you will find one after another, after another, after another. Racism. I hate racism. Murder. Wars. Genocide. Wiping out an entire people, an entire race, and suicide. Now, G.K. Chesterton said, suicide is the ultimate hatred of the world. It's to say, I want nothing more of any of this than to take your own life. The world is broken. Friend, Satan is still at work. He still causes the same thing he did then. Separation and rebellion. But God is greater. <laughs> Not only does God restore us to himself through his son Jesus, he restores us to one another. No one is perfect, that's for sure. And no one loves at all times. No one loves perfectly, except one. There was one man who lived perfectly. There was one man who loved perfectly and laid down his life for us. And that is Christ, the Savior. And that's why in him is where we find forgiveness for our sins against one another. And he begins to transform us to love better, to love as we should. Like marriage itself, this is what marriage should, this is what marriage looks like now, right? A lot of hiding and blaming and suspicion, oftentimes. But in Christ, you see marriages that are transformed by the gospel. And it's a long process. As someone who's been married for nearly 19 years, it's a process of growing and maturing. But there is true intimacy again. That's what the church is all about. We talked about this a little bit last week, talking about relationships. What is the church? The local church is about God restoring us to one another, to love one another as we should. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have fellowship. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. The Lord's Supper is not just some little ceremony that we tend to do from time to time. The Lord's Supper is God calling us in 
togetherness to celebrate the gospel as one body, united together. And it's not just one church, it's across churches. This is a picture from uh, one of the United Night of Prayers. So I think there's like five, six pastors up there. Some of us have variously different beliefs on, on smaller sub-issues. But we come together and celebrate the good news of Christ, our Savior, and the gift of prayer that He gives us in relationship with Him. And as we sung at the end, what is heaven but all tongues and tribes and nations gathered in Christ, celebrating Him forever. Friends, hate sin. <laughs> Run from sin. Never glamorize it. Never play with it. Run in the other direction. And you know what's in the other direction? Christ. Christ is in the other direction. It's where we find true love for God and love for one another. Sin has tragically ruined our perfect world. What a sad picture. For those who have been with us here studying since the beginning of January picture of God creating this world in all its beauty and order and to now see it falling deep into sin. Sin has ruined our perfect world for now <laughs> and only for now. Um, I've never experienced a huge personal tragedy. Thank God I've lost loved ones. I know many of you have experienced some major tragedies. But in one sense, friends, this is a tragedy we've all experienced. Every day as we live in a fallen and sinful and broken world, we experience the tragedy of sin that we just read about. But for now, God loves to break, fix broken things. <laughs> he fixes broken people, He fixes broken relationships, and He will fix our broken world. You know, there's no way back. And this is something that makes you sad when you think about it. It's like walking on a path. Uh, there's no way back. Oh, wouldn't it be great to get back into the Garden of Eden? Wouldn't it be great to experience that innocence before God and that there's no way back? You can't go back, but you can go forward. <laughs> and we go forward in Christ to a new creation, to a glory of enjoying Him now in this life, fellowship with God our Creator, enjoying fellowship with one another. That's what, the, again, the local church is all about. But even as we await eternal glory in His presence, in which, we will, in which sin will be no more. As we await that day, may God help us to be faithful. To be faithful to Him, to love Him, and to love one another. Would you pray with me? Well, our gracious God, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank you for what it tells us about who we are and why we're here. Thank you that you have not left us without a clear witness, a clear truth, a sense, a truth of who we are and why we're here. We're here because you have made us in your own image. And we're here to love you and know you and to love one another. And Lord, we recognize that sin has broken our perfect world. We recognize that our relationship with you is no longer one of innocence. It's no longer one of perfection. And we recognize that our relationship with one another is far from perfection as well. We hurt one another. We choose selfishness over love. We're greedy. And Lord, we even see daily on the news and newspapers, wherever we look, the brokenness of our world. But we rejoice as Christians gathered in the name of Christ that you have sent a rescuer to us. You have not left us in our sin, broken from our relationship with you and from one another, 
But in Christ, Lord, you have restored us to yourself to know you and love you. And in Christ, you are restoring us to one another. So, Father, thank you. Help us who know Jesus to celebrate the gospel this morning, to be restored unto the joy of your salvation for us. And pray, Father, for anyone here who maybe is still thinking about it, still considering where they're at. Lord, thank you so much that they would be here. What a gift. Help them, Lord, to know that there is a God who loves them, who has done what it takes to bring them back to himself forever. Bless us as we continue to worship and sing, as we fellowship and as we get ready to go back into serving you in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and